with Julia and Philip Siracusa, sponsored by Carnation, airing live on the United Public Radio Network on 105.3 FM in New Orleans. This show's entrance has been edited, produced, and directed by Gwen Clapper from Perfect Trust Productions, LLC. You can find us at perfecttrustproductions.com. everyone and welcome to Monday night segment of Horsefly Chronicles Radio with myself, Julia Syracusa and Phil Syracusa. We are broadcasting live from the International Public Radio and the United Paranormal Radio Network on 105.3 FM from New Orleans. This evening's show is fully sponsored by Carnation, so we want to thank them for their sponsorship. You'll have to do a few things in order to participate, go on over to the YouTube channel, UFO Paranormal Radio, or International Public Radio. You can also go into all of the Facebook stations, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, UFO Undercover with Joe Montaldo, News on the Flip Side, Twitch, SoundCloud, and Podbeam. And if you have any questions for our guests, please ask. So tonight, guys, we have another amazing guest. And tonight we're going to talk about trauma and how it really affects us. So please let's welcome Michelle Carpenter to the show. Michelle has a gift of seeing into the person's body, mind, and spirit. She can sense when a person's heart contracts when it feels sadness or pain and expands when their vibration shifts. She is shown where feelings are held within the body and the mind. She'll discuss tonight how to release grief and trauma from our bodies and how trauma can affect us, including our past lives and how that plays a part in releasing trauma. She'll also talk about how she channels angelic beings of light called Council of Eight. So please let's welcome her to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Julia and Philip. It's lovely to be a part of your show. Thank you. Awesome. We love the accent. Yes. Hey, uh, really quick, Carpenter, any relationship to the Carpenters? <laughs> no, you know, funny story. My husband and I are busy painting our lounge. And the other day I had some 60s and 70s tunes going on and and the Carpenters were playing in the background. And I said, oh, this is the Carpenters. He's like, huh? Who's they? And I'm like, come on, dude, get with the program. <laughs> Have you not heard about the Carpenters after all these years? I mean, she oh, was wow. just beautiful and iconic. I mean, she got the most beautiful voice, you know. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. Second no, to none. None. Her voice was second to none. Um, so, Michelle, yeah. can you um, take us to the beginning of your story? Um, what drove you down this amazing road of studying and learning how to sense trauma in people? Through my own life experience, through my own um, upbringing, through um, learning as I've gone along. And um, I don't know how much you would like me to share. Would you like me to start at basically whatever, my own trauma that I've gone through? Whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Well, I'm, I'm very open, you know. I am very open to share my story because in my hope and what I've been shown just in the years that I've been working on myself is that the more I share with somebody else or other people, who knows that that may help them in their experience or their trauma that they're going through in their, um, their own lives. And uh, so I'm kind of very open in sharing, you know. Um, so that's why I always just like to ask because, you know, even when I was sexually abused at the age of five, um, I didn't know that it was sexual abuse at the time. It was my uncle. He was going through puberty. Um, but it was quite graphic. I've come to discover over the years of, you know, having to go into therapy and that in terms of what he did to me. Um, so that's why I just like to ask, you know, in terms of, you know, sexual abuse is different for many different people. Um, but yeah, that's where I pretty much started was, you know, um, many years ago, my folks lived in Zimbabwe and uh, which used to be called Rhodesia. 
and my dad was part of the Rhodesian War and my folks were young. They got married at a very young age, had my oldest brother. And when we had the President Mugabe take over, um, it became quite intense to live there. And my folks pretty much just gave away almost all of their belongings. And I remember, you know, my mom and I think my dad went to South Africa first, but we then joined as a family, joined a few months later um, on a train with a few boxes in South Africa. And like I say, as time has gone on, I've realized even that experience, you know, those experiences of my dad being in the Rhodesian, a soldier in the Rhodesian war, going backwards and forwards, I picked up on a lot of my mom's fear. Um, my mom used to, you know, uh, lock myself and my oldest brother in the bedroom and um, just out of her own her own fear of what might happen. Uh, fast forward, so I was sexually abused in Zimbabwe, didn't know it was an issue um, or a thing or a problem. And because uh, I was told to keep it a secret, obviously. And when we then moved to South Africa, um, my folks you know, in the in the 70s, there was a lot of partying and the, with the partying, there was a lot of drinking that came with that. And I've come to again experience over time that there was a suppression of their own feelings in their own childhood and, you know, what my dad was experiencing, what my mom had experienced in her lifetime. But that affected me as a little girl. You know, it was I'm the middle child and I remember a lot, like even talking about being in the bedroom with my mom and sleeping in the room. My oldest brother is three and a half years older. I said, do you remember that memory? And he's like, no, 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 I don't. But just to, 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 to share with you guys how when we start going deeper into our own psyche, um, and I've actually shared an experience when my mom was alive and I went back to South Africa a few years ago. I said to her, mom, I remember... I remember you, my mom was very angry as a woman and um, she projected a lot of that anger onto myself and my oldest brother. And um, I said to her, mom, I remember there was a time where, and I explained the sideboard and I explained the dining room and I explained the plates that she was throwing at my dad. And she's like, Michelle, that's impossible. How do you remember that? And I said, I remember it. Like, I remember the maroon plates and you were throwing them at dad. And she goes, no, I was seven months pregnant with you. How do you remember that? So, you know, when I've gone into hypnosis sessions or gone into deep regression again or gone into feeling into my body throughout, it's been about 14 or 15 years that I started working on myself. Um, and kind of at times I feel like I'm back to basics. I'm like, damn it, there's the, you know, the old story might come up, but there's still a feeling that's embedded within my body. Um, but my mom was blown away. I was blown away that I even remembered that being in her womb. But that's how we take on the intergenerational trauma. So fast forward to being in South Africa growing up um, in what I would say a volatile situation. You know, my parents did the very best they could, but uh, we didn't have a lot of money at times. And also having to just leave everything behind in, in Zimbabwe, getting to South Africa, took them years to get onto their feet financially again. Um, one situation was we moved into a, a small mining town and there was a girl at school that called me a poor white. And I just, I, I stuck with that anger for years and years and years because we were in a mine home, a mining home. You know, they were all face bricks, so you knew who was, you know, the parents who were miners. But that memory was traumatic for me because it was clearly embarrassing that I was known as a poor white by this one specific girl. Um, and every time I saw at school, I was just angry. So for me, I just suppressed. I suppressed. I suppressed. I suppressed. I used to have a lot of tonsillitis, a lot of ear infections, a lot of bronchitis. So the body, my body, kept flaring up because I never spoke up you know number one from the sexual abuse I then had bulimia as a young girl I was a dancer um, and I somehow got it wrong I always chuckle when I share this story because I ate too much and I didn't vomit enough because I was putting on weight my ballet teacher called my mom in and said something's going on with Michelle but I never shared things with my mother you know we again grew up in the 70s and 80s and we weren't taught to share things, to share experiences. We just got on with life, basically. Um, at the age of 16 and a half, I had a very, very good friend who I'd grown up with since I'd immigrated to South Africa. And uh, she had had what was called spina bifida, and she'd had a kidney transplant at the age of, I think it was 15 and a half, 16, and the kidney didn't take, so she died. 
And that was a very integral part of my journey, which I've come to experience um, because she had passed over in hospice in Johannesburg. And I remember sitting a few days before she passed over and um, her parents were being counseled. And I remember them coming out of the room with the counselor. I remember looking at the woman thinking, how is that counselor not crying? Like, wow, this is phenomenal, you know? And fast forward into my journey when I was 32, 33 years old, I became a part-time hospice caregiver and I learned so much from that experience. But I was being guided. Now that I know that I'm, you know, in this this this, this learning of my soul's journey, when I was 16 and a half, that was part of what I needed to learn in order to, you know, fast forward a few years later, 20 odd years later, to becoming a hospice, a part-time hospice caregiver. Um, but again, I just suppressed that, you know. I remember going to school the day she died. It was just crazy. I got the phone call from her mom and dad and my mom said, are you okay? And I'm like, yep. And just in a state of complete numbness. And I think that that's how I lived most of my life, in the state of numbness, even though my body kept showing me through, you know, the different illnesses, but also bladder infections, kidney infections. Um, and what I forgot to mention was my dad, bless his cotton socks, but he'd had a few affairs when he was younger. And that was a lot of my mom's anger. So my mom had conditioned me, do not let a man dominate you. Well, guess what? That's all I ever did was let men dominate me and control me because I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to be loved. And um, with the affairs that he had, I had sort of figured out that this was a pattern in my life. I would bring men into my space when I was, you know, in my 18s, 19s, 20s, and they would all cheat on me. And obviously the whole time I kept going, what the hell is wrong with me? What am I doing wrong in this world? You know, again, just all lower vibrational feelings. I then got to the age of 24 and um, I knocked over and killed a young girl. I was a sales rep at the time and uh, I was driving. It was I was on my side of the road, but I looked down to put a straw into a cool drink and she had misjudged my car and I just heard this impact and she had hit my mirror my window rolled over and she went into what we would call the bushes like like it's uh, the felt in South Africa but it's long overgrown grass and I stopped and I just saw my car full of smoke and I was in a territory like area where there were farms so I thought maybe it was a horse or a dog or a cow and some other people had stopped and I said I don't know what I've hit mm. um and they went and had a look and they said you've hit a woman um, but it turned out that there was wrong information on the accident report. And uh, the mother actually phoned me a few months later and she said, you know, I'm phoning to find out how you are because you knocked home and killed my daughter. And I said, what do you mean? In my, I was told again, I don't know why at the time, but I thought that this was, I was told she was a woman in her 50s or 60s. And that's how somehow made it feel okay, even though I had knocked home and killed somebody. But taking a life with a young girl was just a complete devastation for me, you know, to know she was a young 14-year-old. But her mother was an earth angel to actually pick up the phone and um, and find out how I was. But again, I just suppressed it. I went I went on to a party scenario and I went on holiday and, um, you know, just got on with life. And in my experience, that would have been a massive wake-up to myself. You know, that would have been like a, come on, Michelle, you need to get out of your funk in some way. And I've come to realize over, you know, working with different shamans and just experiencing different things on my journey um, in my elevated consciousness, that these would have been wake up calls. But I grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home. So what I do now to my parents would be, you know, being a medium would be I'd be speaking to the devil kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so, again, I just sucked up all those feelings. But my nervous system was out of whack completely. I suffered from migraines. I was just continuously sick. I then, within eight months, got married to um, my now ex-husband and another pattern, he cheated on me. But it was the best wake-up call because we had a baby girl who was 10 months old and it took me quite a while to find out that he'd actually cheated on me. And my mom saw all the signs. She was like, mm, I know this man, two cell phones, kind of stereotypical. I mean, he did it the real typical way. <laughs> which is quite funny. And um, 
but he did the best thing ever for me on my journey because that was when I always used to describe to people I felt like a pit bull had grabbed me by my Achilles tendon to bring me down because my family was of the highest value in my life and I thought shit something's got to change man something's got to something's got to change with me and I went to go see a clairvoyant and he was a young male and he said to me you don't love yourself and I was like what the hell just help me with my anger dude like I've got anger issues <laughs> like something what's wrong with me I just keep going back to this old way of thinking like and and just being completely programmed and there was always something wrong with me and uh, that led me onto the journey of then going to do a, a weekend away with hospice and then I then on went went on to become um, a counselor for them a part-time caregiver and counselor and then I studied neuro-linguistic programming and then I've just advanced but every time I've advanced just to give an example, like when I was studying neuro-linguistic programming, which was over a period of a year, um, on and off over weekends, man, there were times where I would just cry and sob my heart out in a group of 18 people. And the, the coach who'd been coaching people for 18 odd years didn't know what to do with me. And uh, he would try every technique. And I just feel it was like a way of my body just releasing and releasing and releasing all this pent up stored feelings and emotions that I had just cried for you well cried crying inside but not able to voice it because you know again every time I cried I remember one of my parents saying stop crying why are you crying or I'd get smacked for something that I did that was perhaps thought that was incorrect or you know um so there was just so many different levels and layers to my own trauma and then add to that in the last 20 odd years, I mean, we've lived in New Zealand now for six years, but prior to that, I would say 15 years before immigrating to New Zealand, we've been in some very severe situations. Um, my dad and daughter got held up at gunpoint. We'd had people invade our home in the middle of the night. My husband screamed so loud, he lost his voice box um, for three weeks. Um, that's still that PTSD is still running through our systems at times. My husband and I still have a few nightmares um, every now and again. Like me, not so much, but he still has at least once a week. He's got some real deep um, emotional trauma there uh, that he's busy working on at the moment. Um, but we've had quite a few situations, you know. Um, and it's it's unfortunate it's just part of that you know the massive fear that we lived in that state of fight flight fright you know you're always on always on and it's a beautiful country but you know uh, it was there was just my body just got to a stage where i just couldn't handle it anymore like you know you kind of like climb in your car and the bags underneath the seat and the windows are up and locked and you, you just become neurotic you know you're always checking always checking always checking and it's not a way to live and then my husband went on a mountain biking trip. And sorry, guys, I'm just rambling on. So please stop me at any time. That's okay. amazing. So far, I mean, this is an incredible story. I mean, you've been through a lot. I have. And, you know, I used to underplay it. I used to be like, no, no, you know, it's just this happens to everybody else. And I, I actually shared, um, I did a live event about a month ago um, here in New Zealand and I shared my story and when I shared the fact that I'd knocked over and killed this young girl, so many people's jaws dropped. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, whoa, Michelle, this is a big story. You know, this is like my life's journey has been amazing because it's got me to the place of really understanding. And I'm still working on understanding a lot of trauma and how we sit with it in our bodies. Um, I can say quite categorically and open-heartedly that um, there's very few people's stories that my body sort of goes, whoa, this is big, you know, um, and and I know we all have big journeys and big stories in our own specific ways, but I, I, you know, for a long time, I lived in my victimhood. Why? Why did this happen to me? Why do men leave me? Why? Why did this happen? Why, did I, why was I sexually abused? Well, when I started counseling, the universe gave me exactly what I needed to help me to heal. Which was, which was young woman who was sexually abused. And I still realized how much anger I carried towards my uncle because he was very much a part of our lives. And I shared this with my parents at, only at the age of 33. You know, I'd really stored it for such a long time and he was just such a part of our lives. And I just, you know, have you heard that expression when somebody just has a vibe? 
well, I was that person at every gathering. I just had this vibe. I was just on. I just had this hatred inside of me. And that wasn't serving me in any way. And um, so as I've learned throughout the years to work on myself, um, you know, I've, I've started experiencing how our bodies store the, the, the old deep-seated feelings of anger, resentment, which is just me drinking the poison. I wanted to be a better person. I wanted to, um, you know, part of my sexual abuse was being angry at him, but then being angry at my parents. That was another level. But then the biggest thing was being angry at myself. And, um, you know, at the age of five, I was so super critical like I should have known better. And I was five. And only when my daughter turned five did I sort of look and it brought up a whole set of anger again when I realized I was so little when it actually happened. And um, and my parents was, weren't as empathetic as what I'd hoped for them to be at the time. You know, I was coming from my own place, a perspective of if any had done, anybody had done that to my, to my children, I would have annihilated them. In all honesty, I would have taken them out, man. I would have been like, I say that respectfully, <laughs> but that's my thought process. I'm like, what could I do, man? Like, I'm just like, oh, I'm on. But obviously within, within limits, you know, I mean, I don't want to go to prison because of something that happened to my kids, but that's the anger that I was carrying. You know, it was so deep seated. Yeah. Let, uh, let me ask you this question really quick. Sure. Um, do you think from your knowledge and wisdom and everything you've been through to this point in your life that everything was supposed to play out the way it did? And I ask that because, you know, I interview a lot of people and it's as if each one of us has our own story, our own puzzle. And even though there's a lot of obstacles and things that we don't like and we say, well, why would I want that to happen? As if you pre-planned we wrote out things that we want to experience. And I know some things we don't want to say that we would want to experience, but in the paranormal, the supernatural, and the psyche of a person, I've interviewed so many people from around the world, and, and, and it comes to a correlation of we formatted this in such a way that at the end of our journeys, we see the whole puzzle that's complete and we understand more of who we really are, not the flesh of who we are. Sure. So in short, yes. You know, when I was in my victimhood, um, I 100% didn't understand it. I kept asking the big question, why is this happening to me? Why am I failing at relationships? Why am I, you know, a loser? Why was why didn't I feel loved by my parents? Um, the why is just such a big question. And sometimes we don't know why. Why do children come in as with the disabilities they do? You know, why do parents experience such loss? Um, why did I have that soul contract? I, it just, it, it's mm -hmm. part of my evolution. It's part of my growth. And the more I become expansive in my knowing, the more I realize that there isn't even a why. It just is. Just is. It just is. And it's made me really, really good at what I do. And uh, like I say, you know, for me, um, there's, there's been times where I know that I'm on my own. Um, for me, I'm always on my own healing journey. And I'm, I'm learning. I had a, a situation over the weekend where I projected onto my daughter. And it just brought up such old shame for me. And I, I'm very much about keeping it real as the, the therapist that I am because I'm freaking human and I'm still learning, you know. Yeah. And um, so it's wonderful. Uh, I'm really good at the bridge between the human and the spiritual because I, I go into my humanness, but I also know that there's more out there in the spiritual vastness of, of who we are in, within our light. Um and, and that's what I've had to learn over time is that because I used to sit in my emotions and like really just be like, ah, like life's so freaking awful, you know, and why is this happening to me? And, you know, even if you notice my body, like this is how I used to be. And then I'd blame my parents. Part of that uh, change and part of the, the healing in my sexual abuse was 
then been angry at my mother and my father because they didn't nourish me or nurture me in the way that I'd hoped that they would have. But I'm coming from my place of perspective as the mother that I am. And I've kind of been OTT with my kids because of the way that my parents were with me. Whereas now my, my kids are learning and teaching me like, mom, just stop, just stop kissing me, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm a bit smothering at times, you know, but I'd, I've taught them, find your voice, tell me what you like and what you don't like. The parts that you like about me take on, what you don't like about me change, you know. So that's again is, it's kind of like we're here and we're here and then I'm here and when I'm out here and I'm channeling, whoa, that's an amazing place to be. At the same time, I've chosen this journey of being Michelle. And, and you know, I can tell you that you have an amazing energy the way you speak, your tonality, you're very fluent and you're high energetic, which is awesome. And you got an upper vibration that's really yeah. incredible. And it kind of reminds me of your story. Again, there's a lot of turning points to your life. I mean, you've been through a lot. And then I was just reading an article that this young girl, she remembered her past life and she died in a plane crash in the 1930s. And, um, and and she says, I know this, I know who I was. And she gave the name of who mm -hmm. she was and everything. And, and she says, because I, I planned it that way. Mm -hmm. And they said, what do you mean you planned it that way? She goes, well, I planned it. I planned my past life that way. I wanted to experience that. And again, it sounds like it's so bizarre. It's out there. It's outlandish. It is. But, but yet from all these testimonials around the world, people say that, you know, in the reincarnation state, they, the soul wants to experience different things on different levels. So um, and that we're so boxed in and narrowed in the physical realm that unless you have the third eye or you see above and beyond everything, or you go through a near-death experience, like a periscope, and you see life for what it really is, right? Mm -hmm. And you narrow it into not understanding why and how could that happen and all the hurtful things that – we're only human and we, we don't like it. I get it. None of us do. But they're hearing so many testimonials of what people go through, especially reincarnation. It's as if the soul comes in soul groups. They write down what they want to experience. There is free will. It can be changed. But they go through the course of what the soul has in store for them. Um, that's already pre-planned. And it's over and over. I hear the same exact stories. And I find it fascinating. And those that have crossed over and that went into coma states, they come out and they say, no, I get it now. I lost my kids in a car accident. And they go, aren't you devastated? He goes, yeah, but now I see where they went. And where they went is amazing to this other place. This, this upper realm, for example. Um, life isn't perfect. Life is very hard. And, you know, some people, it seems like all the goodness and the wealth and success is thrown their way. And other people struggle from day one and don't make it that far in the lifespan. Yeah. But then when you hear all the stories, some of the wealthy people that had a near-death experience, when they come out of it, they give everything away because they say that that's not what this was about. I had it all wrong. Mm -hmm. So... A life journey, I believe, you know, they always say that you can be the poorest man on earth, but the richest man in soul. And I'd rather be the richest man in soul. And that's a beautiful way of saying it. You know, two things that struck out to me when you were saying that and the way you described that is I think so many of us actually, I was one of those people. I was walking around in a coma state. Most certainly, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, I wasn't put into a coma, but I was just so unaware and oblivious to life. And, you know, my parents, you know, my mom specifically, uh, we grew up in a Methodist home, uh, but then my mom became a reborn Christian, or I think I did first, I can't remember. I mean, it's just so crazy. This is one of the coma states that I used to live in. We used to go into one of the center places in Joburg when it was still a really safe space to go into in the 1980s, 1990s and stand outside one of the most amazing clubs, okay, at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night and trying to save people, like coming with our Bibles. I mean, who the hell does that? <laughs> you know, it's like, really? <laughs> people are coming out and they're drunk and they just want to freaking go for chicken, you know, because they want to like stuff their faces. <laughs> and 
Yeah, we are like, praise the Lord. And I'm like, who does that? Who puts, I was a teenager at the time. Like, those are the leaders of the church. That That's just ridiculous, you know, now that I, I can laugh about it now. But I was just living in this haze. Yeah. And my experiences had to be big wake-up calls. And you would have thought, you know, the day that I was driving and, you know, had this collision, knocked over this young girl, um, you would have thought that was a wake-up call. I didn't. I just put my head down. I sucked it up. Nobody, nobody said to me, Michelle, you need to go for counseling. This is massive in your life. I remember crying in one of my good, we went on holiday like two days later. So the drive from Johannesburg to Cape Town is a 12-hour drive. And we were going in my company car. And they all said, my friends were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm going to drive, man. Like That's the Trojan that I can be at times. But it wasn't healthy, you know, because we went down. I got drunk almost every single night. Um, I just suppressed it. Uh, and I cried one night in my friend's arms. Like Matt, like I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and she, and she just held me. But two months later, I was engaged. And eight months, all in all, I was married, you know, looking for this fairy tale, fairy tale life and that he's going to rescue me, you know. Well, my ex-husband didn't even know what to do with my sexual abuse story you know every time i was hoping that i was sharing it with somebody that was a friend or a new person you know you could see people's eyes like yeah i don't know what to do with this man it's you know and i was and i was just like well this is what happened to me kind of thing but i spoke from my head i didn't speak from my heart i was so disconnected walking around in that coma space and state and um so the wake-up call absolutely was when you know, I got divorced and that's where I just started to grow. And then I wanted more and I wanted, I was like, yo, I want to, I want to shift the shit, man. I want to, I want to, I want to be a better person for myself. I used to make it about my daughter, which wasn't healthy. I came to realize I want to be a better mother, I wanna, which is nothing wrong with that. But I, I kept saying, I want to be, I want to be better for Gabs. I want to be, and it's like, mm -mm, be better for you, Michelle, you know, and, and as, as, as my journey sort of evolved, and even as something as simple as going for a massage. Um, so if I may share openly uh, as to one of the things that my uncles did was um, he made me give him a blowjob. Now there's memory within the jaw. And I went for a massage the once and the tears were just rolling down my face. And this was about five years ago. And um, and the massage therapist was so, so precise. And she's like, Michelle, you, you, she, she was in my jaw. And she's like, you're holding on to deep-seated anger in your jaw. But I could feel my jaw moving as the energetic, as the emotions and the energy was flowing through me, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, because the emotions were just coming through my tears. But I could actually feel my jaw and I was just connecting with my little five-year-old self. I just kept yeah. saying to me, okay, I forgive you. And that's where I started when I was, you know, um, on my hospice journey. The, the facilitator that I met that weekend started counseling me. And she had been sexually abused as a young woman. So she she really could help me on my journey. And that's when I realized the spirit or the soul that I am people were coming into my space at the right time to help me to heal my okay. tender heart. Um, you know, but that's how I realized how deeply embedded stuff is. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it's never for me in anybody's journey of trauma, not okay. one modality is the right way or the wrong way. You know, people want to excel that. Like for me, I was, I was trying to do everything all at once. And then eventually I just went, okay, Michelle, you just keep putting yourself into fight or flight. So just just back off. Take time to process, like after a hypnosis session. It's PTSD. It's PTSD. How did you really, like, really recover from all this trauma and PTSD? Because that's that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. Like, what um, did you really, really? Was it through a lot of counseling and like, how did you become the person that you are today after all of this? Um. I'm still becoming the person that I like, okay? Um, I just want to be clear with that. <laughs> um, but it's been through a lot of different trainings, a lot of different different therapy. So I started with counseling. Um, talk therapy was a lot of that. And a lot of my releasing, I call them golden tears because I allowed my vulnerability. I, I started to allow my light to be seen. 
And then I studied NLP, neurolinguistic programming. Again, as I shared with you, a lot of crying, you know, through that. Um, and a lot of inner child work. Um, I then went and uh, studied to become a Hatha yoga teacher. I then went on a channeling course. Um, I've done integrative quantum medicine. That's where I started learning about the past lives and, you know, where I've been and who I've been involved with in past lives and who my soul groups have been. Um, and I've, I continuously, I do hypnosis, I do, I do regression, and I do a lot of energy um, exchanges with people that I feel into and I feel that I ask my guides, you know, is this, is this something that will be good for my healing? And, um, and I've become very um, aware as to, even if I go for a massage, you know, I always ask, please bring somebody into my space because for somebody who's just massaging on 100 people a week, for me, that's not really being, I need somebody that really is helping me through the experience of releasing whatever my body needs to release because I go in with that intention in any in any kind of um modality or any kind of therapy that I put myself into Reiki also being one of them you know I kind of I have to sort of say to somebody who might say to me Michelle is it okay if you know I'm I'm training for my Reiki you know would you be okay if I work on you know and I'll say to them please be aware I just allow like I just if I need to scream if I need to roar if I need to cry because there might be something that comes up in the ethers that's my mom's stuff or my grandmother's stuff or my, you know, my, my dad's stuff, you know, the, the trauma that they've held on to. I, I just get shown when I'm in the field. And then my way of expression is through just allowing my tears. And then I quiver. Right. I also did, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the modality right now. Um, there's a gentleman in the States that developed it for, um, for Vietnam vets where, you know, um, the, the, if you watch a lion get away from a buck, a buck quivers and they regulate their nervous systems. We're not taught that as little people, you know, we hold, we store and um, trauma release, TRE, that's right. And uh, and this gentleman developed it for Vietnam vets and it, it, it really helped my body a lot. You know, if I go into any kind of movement or dancing and then I lie still, I'm, I'm, I really listen to my body. We are, sometimes I sit like even talking about my story, even though I've spoken about it a few times on different podcasts, I can still feel like, oh, I've got to work on that, you know, or, or I can feel into my heart. I'm like, oh, there's a memory there. There's emotion. There's a feeling. Um, and I, I don't judge it. I used to be so self-critical at times. Mm -hmm. Like, damn it. How come I didn't get that right? Or Michelle, you didn't get Then I'm just, just yeah. stop. Just stop, you know. What do you do when you come across someone who has been through this type of trauma? Like, how do you help other people? So I work in the now. I work very presently with somebody. And um, and I will always say to them that um, I, I basically, because I'm in your field, I energetically feel in my body what the, my client is sitting opposite me with. So as soon as I connect with them, I could feel if their body's in fight or flight, if they're in sympathetic or the parasympathetic, because my body starts to just start to quiver. And I can feel where the energy starts to move when they share their story with me. And I can feel when they, their heart contracts into space, into, into sadness. And um, I'm very um, gentle especially when somebody's been through a lot of trauma, you know, and I, I continuously, let's say for, for example, if somebody is, is sitting in there and they're starting to share their trauma with me and, and they're starting to share their, their story and Michelle, I'm so traumatized and I'm, and I'll just say, okay, and can we just connect? Let's just take a few breaths, you know, and for somebody who's, who spent years and years and years in fight or flight and they've got no awareness that they're even in that state of being, it's about the connection, you know, and I'm, and I'm constantly just navigating. I'm constantly just, okay, okay, whoa, there's the heart. There's, okay, just breathe. So I use a lot of breath work on my Zoom sessions. If I have a client who's sitting here in my rooms or on my bed, that's where I help their body. I'll say, I'll go and feel and I'll say, okay, again, just breathe. And I always will say, breathe into your heart, expand into your heart. 
And when, when we use breath work, you know, sometimes, a lot of times when the trauma is being released, people will start to feel dizzy or they'll start to feel nauseous. And, and that's where I'll just put my hand. I'm very, um, I'm a very touchy feely person. And, um, and I know that that's what, you know, what kid doesn't want to be held, to be honest, you know, what kid doesn't want to be just told in the moment, it's okay, I've got you. So when a client has a big release, even on zoom, I would say to them and suggest pull a pillow, you know, or um, grab a blanket, something that's soft, because ultimately we're working with that little person inside. And, you know, the subconscious feelings or programmings that they're holding on to. And, uh, but breath work and I use music and then I get guided, take them back to when they're three. And then I show, I'm, I'm shown a visual of when they were two or three years old. I had a client yesterday as an example that I kept being shown in, she was talking and talking and talking and, and there's something going on in the dynamics of her marriage. And, and I kept being shown, I've got to take her back to when she was in the womb. Wow. And, and, and then I said to her, I said, can we just, I had, it was kind of like, let's just calm your body down, get you into the parasympathetic. And when I saw, when I see people go, then, you know, the state of body is starting to, cause it's trust, you know, yeah. I'm a stranger in their lives and I do share some of my own personal journey because I feel like it just helps them feel a little bit more comfortable that I'm not just the person that's sitting here going, hey, man, I've got my shit together, because I don't. <laughs> you know, I'll sort of share, like, you know, I, I, the biggest thing I'm learning, even with PTSD for myself, is you can never say to anybody, I understand exactly what you've been through, Julia, and understand yeah, exactly what you've been through, mm -hmm. Philip. Nobody understands. Yeah, I can I can say to you, I'm walking with you on your journey. I'm feeling with you. I'm in this moment right now. But none of us understand what the other person is being mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. You know, the understanding is here. The the brain wants to interpret what it wants to interpret. The brain wants to go, and it it I'm I'm realizing through my own journey. Even when a friend says, "Oh, Mish, I understand. I understand what it's like to be South African." I'm like, "No, you don't, dude." Like, but that's me being triggered. So yeah. that's when I go, oh, okay, ooh, I'm being triggered. I, I've got to, I need to work on this, you know, um, because it's my trigger. It's my feeling. So I'm very much just navigating in the space of helping people to go from their contractedness within their body to helping them to feel lighter in their heart and in their body overall, because that's when we can start to expand our awareness. And when wow. we start to that. yeah, yes. You know, I've got friends who are just, they're out there, man. And they've had a, by, by their interpretation of being human, they seemingly have had an easy journey. And they're just out there. But sometimes, and I say this respectfully, you know, it's there's a superficial spiritual bypassing that can happen at times. You know, this is the season I'm in. This is how I'm navigating life. And I'm like, like you know <laughs> sorry it's very judgmental <laughs> but it's like come on you, okay I hear you but you, you sound like you've listened to so many other people telling you that this is a season they're in but where's the feeling get into the feeling because the body just stores it holds yeah. and, and if, um mm -hmm. no sorry let, Julia. you have to let yourself feel because if you don't it's just going to get worse and worse and worse that's my experience, you know, is that I, I didn't know how to feel. And I brought in one heck of a teacher with this mentor and facilitator when I started my journey 15 years ago because she had had a big life journey herself. And she got me to feel all kinds of different emotions. Then eventually got me into a place of acceptance, not only in my own journey, but in my soul's journey, my true knowingness is to learn forgiveness in this lifetime and to learn more about loving myself and loving others. That for me is what I keep going back to forgiveness, letting go of the shame, you know, of the experience of sometimes what comes out of my mouth because my defense mechanism is my mouth. Um, I was incredibly sarcastic as a teenager, incredibly angry as a teenager because of this wound that I stored. Um, and a lot of my 
self-sabotaging. Um, you know, I, I was sexually abused and then not even, I don't know the timelines, but I my my toe, my big, my big right toe got caught in a bicycle chain when I was five and a half, six years old. And it was I'd had a piece of skin that that they had to that they said I was young enough to attach it. And thank goodness, because being the dancer that I became over years, um, grateful that I have five toes, you know, um, on both, you know, 10 toes on, on all my feet. But I realized that was a self-sabotaging pattern because I, I got attention from my parents being in hospital. So every time I got sick, I got my mother's attention. Right. Do you see how these these noticings sort of happen? Mm -hmm. Even with my husband, my second husband, you know, as soon as I'd lose my shit like a banshee, he'd he'd be there. He'd be like, oh, what do you need? How can I support you? And then I, no, 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 I don't want to be this person anymore. So do you see how it's, there's so much in our journey and and, and, and the growth of the trauma spaces that we can be in, which is feelings. Feelings are rejection, anger irritation, frustration, um, apathy, you know, and as we start to let these go, we start to feel more joy, more bliss, and that's when the synchronicities happen, when our vibration and our frequency changes. So that's how I notice when I'm working with a client, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll join me in a very low vibrational space because I'm feeling into their humanness but I'm also feeling into the density of their vibration. And as we go through this session, um, afterwards I can almost feel like a tingling and they'll go, yes, my gosh, I feel so much lighter. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can ask for, um, is that in every session that they, we feel a little bit lighter. Yeah. What does that mean, feel lighter? Does that mean the skeletons and darkness are taken off for that person? That's a great question. Yes and no. You know, it depends what the skeletons look like. It depends what the darkness looks like to an individual. I had negative entities attached to me last week. And I kept thinking I was painting our lounge. And I was having such bad thoughts, man. And I felt I couldn't wake up that morning. And the next morning again, I was, I'm not the easiest to get out of bed. But I was like, yo, man, I just feel so heavy and then I, I took my dog for a walk and I went and I did some cold therapy some cold plunging in our in our local river and then I asked I asked for the guidance what's going on with me and I got very really I had three negative entities and I asked for a portal to be opened and Archangel Michael to come down so I think we can bring it in not even knowingly because we can it just depends where you at in your life it depends on what you want to work on you know it depends on your noticing your awarenesses because again for me we can be i can be out in the field but i don't want to be an arsehole as a human being i want to be a nice person i want to be a kind person i want to be a compassionate person i can channel at any one time and say yeah this is awesome i'm in the gamma state i'm out there in the field man look what i'm seeing i kind of like being on mushrooms you know phenomenal at the same time i'm still working on being an awesome human being to me and to everybody else so does that answer your question yeah Yeah, because i hear that that a lot where people say that after either an exorcism a deliverance or a, a blessing over them when they've had a lot of trauma and uh negative feelings and bad thoughts of evilness that they feel lighter and I always ask, what does it mean to feel lighter? Um, and they kind of re- they're talking about releasing the past, because if you hold on to the past, you hold on to the demons and the skeletons and the darkness. If you release it and let it go out into the universe, and you push it out, you become lighter and you become more vibrant and a higher energy. Um, so I, I find that very interesting and. You know, for the listener out there, who doesn't go through dark times? You know, there's a saying that's mm-hmm. crazy that when everything in your life is going the right way, mm-hmm. you run the devil's path. And you may say, well, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. And then when you have obstacles in life. The devil is having a hard time getting into your life because you're making it over the obstacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, it's fascinating. 
I think that your life journey so far to this day, and it sounds like you can help a lot of people and you, and you have, right? Yes. Yes. And I have, I've been very, very blessed to work internationally over zoom. Um, and um, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. I've worked with thousands of people over time. Sometimes the, the, the experience that I have with somebody is so big. You know, I used to take it quite personally, like how come people hadn't booked in and three months or six months later, people would come back and say, Michelle, the information that you shared, the experience that I had was so big, it took me a while to process it. Um, and I've taken that, I think, as a compliment. Yeah. Um, and uh, But, you know, just to also answer your question when you were talking about that, Philip, pain in the physical body could be the skeletons that we hold on to. And I've noticed one of my biggest, biggest compliments is when somebody has this big, massive release of allowing themselves to just cry, to absolutely wail, Mm. you know, and because sometimes we just store it and store it and store it and store it and store it. And, and it's the heart is going, just, just let, just let me break free, you know, in that moment. And um, even, even, I've got this big pillow and I'll say to somebody, you've got to scream, man. There's a, there's a, ah, that's inside of you. And out of of not helping them have embarrassment, even if I'm on Zoom, I'll say, you know, if you feel safe, like, let's just, I'll help them. Let's, ah, let's get it out your body. Oh, big breath in. Feel, hold, 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 hold. Think, think, think of the person that you can't stand or you're angry with and then just, ah, release it. You know, and with kids, I use the Katy Perry song rule. So there's different ways of expressing and getting it out. And sometimes that pain in the body can instantaneously in those moments just release because it's been holding and holding and holding and holding in this vibrational space. And just by letting out a rule or a big cry, a massive cry, afterwards people go, wow. So even that's the feeling of feeling lighter, um, you know, where they go, Wow, I actually, I just, I, wow, I, it's just a sensation, actually, now that I think about it. Well, Michelle, we are coming to the end of the show, and we want to really thank you for. Oh, yeah, this I has mean, been an awesome show, very knowledgeable. Hey, tell people um, where they can find you and all that good stuff. Thank you so much for having me, and it, it amazes me how quick time goes on, you know, and I sometimes go, oh, oh we definitely want to do a part two. <laughs> need to do a part two with you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, so they can find me. I've got a YouTube channel called um, Mich- uh, Oops, Michelle. Sorry, my kittens just walked in. Michelle Carpenter Medium. Um, I do channelings on there with the Council of Eight, and I have a free um, gathering coming up at um, the last Monday um, of every month, where we come together and bring open-hearted people together. And I'm on Instagram and I'm on um, Facebook as well, Michelle Car- Michelle Carpenter Medium. And, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful. Thank you for having me, guys. And uh, well, Thank, you. thank, you, so thank much. you for everything that you're doing to help everyone else. Thank you. Yeah, most definitely. To the listener, please share this show. There's a lot of knowledge. If you really listen to the show thoroughly, and we all have that darkness and it's a way to let it go. Yes. Julie, wrap All it right. up. Well, special thank you to Michelle, of course, and special thank you to Carnation for sponsoring the show. And join us next week on 105.3 FM from New Orleans. And stay tuned for Trish Mel with the Missing Piece. Thank you, everyone. Have a safe, great night, and we'll catch you thank soon. You. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Thank you.